Father, we do pray that you give us a spirit of illumination, revelation, understanding that we would be able to really know and understand the mystery of this time of year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I say I pray that because, you know, there really is a mystery to Christmas. I mean, there's a mystery to the life and death of Jesus. And I'm not talking about how mysterious the story is to a non-Christian who's never heard about the incarnation, God becoming a man, or about the crucifixion, Jesus dying on the cross. I'm talking about how mysterious this story would have been to the Old Testament educated believing Jew of the first century. Now, let me explain what I mean. There's a lot of familiar Christmas passages that we sing about and we refer to at Christmas. In fact, we just had a reading of one. And this passage typically, Isaiah 9-6 you read, but you don't read Isaiah 9-7. But we read both of them today. But I want to look at it again. Because I want you to notice something as we read this passage. Isaiah 9-6-7. Let's just, let's just imagine now that you are a first century Jew who knows the Old Testament. Let's read this passage and what you would think is going to happen when Messiah comes. Let's read it. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now this child, according to this passage we just read, is God come in the flesh. We see that. But not only that, this child, according to this passage, it sure seems if you just read it, your understanding would be this child will grow up and not only rule over Israel, but rule over the whole world and bring about a worldwide everlasting peace. Yet the child has come. Jesus was born on Christmas Day. But the remainder of that prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. Israel is still oppressed. Wars continue. There's not worldwide peace. This child that we just read about is not ruling over Israel, and he's not ruling over the whole world. Now, of course, we understand from our vantage point, knowing the New Testament, we understand that this passage has a 2,000-year pause or a 2,000-year gap. Yet the face, just the, just, just the face value reading of this passage gives no indication of that gap. It's just one seamless passage. In this one seamless passage, we have both the historical, the child was born, and the future fulfillment, he will rule the world. He'll overpower all Israel's enemies. He'll bring an everlasting peace. Now, can you see 
how the first century student of the Old Testament might have had a bit of a struggle believing that Jesus of Nazareth was that person? Jesus did grow up, but Jesus did not grow up and take the throne of David. Jesus did not break the oppression of Rome, and Jesus did not become the king of the whole world. Let me give you another example of a passage, because there's several, but I'm just going to take, let me just take another one here. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 through 19, this is the passage that the Magi somehow had passed down to them, to them probably from the days of Daniel, the prophet who was the leader of the Magi, appointed a leader of the Magi. And the Magi was hereditary, and this and information got passed down to the Magi for hundreds of years. And this verse is what led them to follow that star. <clears throat> Here it is. Numbers 24, verse 17. A star shall come forth from Jacob. Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter. That's a ruler. A scepter shall rise from Israel. And shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir, its, its enemies, also shall be a possession. While Israel performs valiantly. One from Jacob shall have dominion. And shall destroy the remnant from the city. So this is the verse that led the Magi from the east to follow that star that had never been seen on these astronomers' star charts before. And the Magi, if we read the story, of course, came into Jerusalem looking for who? The king of the Jews. They were looking for him that they might worship him. But according to this passage, if you read the whole passage, this one who rises from Jacob, from Israel, this one who will be king of the Jews, will crush all of Israel's enemies and have dominion over the earth. But this one whom the Magi came to worship, think about this, this one whose star they saw from the east did not grow up to sh and shatter Israel's enemies. And he did not grow up and rule the world. The star has come, the child was born, but the remainder of the prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. And I just wonder, I was thinking about this week, I never really thought about it before. I was thinking about this week about some of those magi who might have been alive 33 years later. I wonder if they were confused when they heard that the this one had been crucified. The king of the Jews was crucified. Now, we understand, of course, that within this passage also, there is a 2,000-year pause or gap. Yet a face value reading of this passage doesn't give us any indication of a gap. It's just one seamless passage. We have, again, both the historical, the child was born, and in the future fulfillment, he's going to rule one day the whole world. 
and bring everlasting peace. Now, can you see just, can you see how this would have been difficult for some Jewish people who are looking forward to Messiah, who knew these Old Testament passages, to not believe that Jesus was him? That's why I'm saying that there's a mystery to the Christmas story. There's a mystery to the story of the cross of Christ. There's a mystery. In fact, Jesus himself says this about his coming in his ministry, that there's a mystery. He says that. In Mark chapter 4 and in Matthew 13, there's a group of parables that Jesus tells. And in the parables, he talks about the mystery of the kingdom of God. The mystery. He says that word. Now, what is the mystery of the kingdom of God? Well, we're actually given a definition of mystery in the Bible, in the book of Romans. Let's see what it is. Romans 16, verse 21 through 26. Here's the apostle Paul writes this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret from long ages, but is now disclosed through the prophetic writings and is made known to all nations. So here's the biblical idea of mystery, something which has been kept secret through times eternal, but is now being disclosed, revealed. It's a divine purpose which God has designed from eternity. He designed his purpose from eternity, but he kept it secret and hidden until the time he decides to reveal it. So these parables in Mark chapter 4 and Mark 13 set forth with the mystery of the kingdom. In other words, there's a new truth. Jesus is teaching a new truth about the kingdom of God, which was not fully revealed in the Old Testament, but which now is being disclosed through the teaching and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So what is this mystery? Well, to answer this question again, we want to go back to the Old Testament and look at a typical prophecy about the coming of God's kingdom. So I want you to see what the Old Testament readers understood, how the kingdom of God is going to come. Daniel chapter 2, you have King Nebuchadnezzar was given a vision. Many of you are familiar with that vision. He saw this great statue or this great image. The statue had a head of gold had a chest of silver, had thighs of bronze, had legs of iron, and had feet of iron and clay. And then in this vision, Nebuchadnezzar sees a stone cut, a stone cut out without human hands, cut out of, out of the mountain, and this stone comes <clears throat> and, and strikes or smotes this statue or this image on the feet. And when he does, when the stone does that, it grinds the whole image to powder. And then dust sweeps the, all, this, all that dust away. The wind sweeps the dust away. And the verse actually says, so that not a trace of them, of those kingdoms, could be found. And then that stone that crushed that image, that statue, it actually then fills the whole earth. It becomes a mountain that fills the earth. So what does all that mean? Well, we don't have to wonder and guess what it means because... Daniel gives us the interpretation of the vision. In Daniel 2, 44 through 45, and we're going to read this. Because the image, of course, let me explain that to you. This image, this statue represented the different kingdoms that ruled the earth. 
Babylon, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and so forth. And so here's what it says now. Here's, here's the interpretation of that shattering of the control of those nations. And then this stone that becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. Here's the interpretation. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Nor shall its sovereignty be left to another people. In other words, God's going to set up a kingdom that there's no, other, no earthly kingdom's going to take. God's going to settle once and for all. He's going to set up his kingdom. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall, he, shall be hereafter. <clears throat> so here, again, is the Old Testament perspective of the coming of God's kingdom. This was the Old Testament perspective. The prophets looked forward to a glorious day when God's kingdom will come, when God will set up his reign on the earth. And in that day, when God sets up his reign, it'll, it'll displace all other kingdoms and all other reigns. And God's kingdom will rule all the nations. God's reign, God's kingdom, God's rule will sweep away every opposing rule on the earth, and God alone will be king over the earth in that day. That's the Old Testament perspective that the coming of God's kingdom is viewed as a single great event. A mighty manifestation of God's power is going to sweep away all human kingdoms at once and fill the earth with his righteousness. That is what the Jews expected would happen when Messiah comes. That's why they did not think Jesus was the Messiah, because that wasn't happening. Now, did you ever wonder why John the Baptist, from his prison cell, sent message to Jesus asking if he's the one or they should look for another? John the Baptist, <clears throat> before he's beheaded in prison, is thinking, and he's wondering. Things aren't going like what he expected because he preached about when Messiah comes, he's going to bring judgment. He told the people that. So now he's wondering what's going on here because that's not happening. So he sends word to Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for another? John's problem was created by the fact Jesus was not acting like the Messiah that he was announcing. Where was the judgment of the wicked that John expected would happen? Herod Antipas, he still ruled over Galilee. Roman legions still marched the streets of Jerusalem. Authority still rested in the hands of a pagan Roman, Pilate. Idolatrous, polytheistic, Immoral Rome still ruled the whole earth with his iron hand. So where was the stone, the Messiah that would shatter all that rule? Where was he? Jesus certainly wasn't acting like what John expected and what the Jews predominantly expected would happen. 
And Jesus answers that sort of thinking like with statements like, blessed is he who takes no offense at me. You know, what Jesus meant was, yes, the kingdom of God is here, but there is a mystery, a new revelation about the kingdom. Author George Eldon Ladd says this, the kingdom of God is here, but instead of destroying human kingdoms, it has attacked the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of God is here, but instead of making changes in the external political order of things, it's making changes in the spiritual order of things. It's making changes in the spiritual order of lot in the lives of men and women, boys and girls. So this is the mystery of the kingdom. This is the truth now, which God has now, God is now disclosing for the first time in fullness in redemptive history. And that is this, the kingdom is yet to come. Now that has been prophesied by Daniel and many of the prophets. The kingdom is yet to come in that form. It's still coming. All that, that they said in the old Testament about the kingdom of God coming is still going to happen that way. It's going to come and it's going to come with power. And we also know that from the New Testament perspective, we know all that happens when Jesus comes again. But the mystery, the new revelation, is this very kingdom of God that's going to come in great power has come already through the ministry, the life and death of Jesus. It's come, that very kingdom's come in advance to work among men in an utterly unexpected way. The kingdom of God has come quietly. It's come, it's come unobtrusively. It's come secretly. In the, spiritual, in the spiritual realm, Jesus now offers to men and women, boys and girls, the blessings of God's rule. He's offering deliverance from Satan, deliverance from sin. He's offering the kingdom, but it's not being forced on anyone. Not yet. It's being offered as a gift that can be accepted or rejected. Now, the parables of Mark 4 and Mark 13 illustrate the mystery of the kingdom. That kingdom of God, which is yet going to come in power and glory, is actually present right now among men in advanced in advance of this, in this unexpected form, to bring people in this present age the blessings of the age to come. So here it is. I know we're wading in some deep waters here, but you know there's some superficiality over this season. I wanted us to go a little deeper here this morning. The mystery of the kingdom is this. The kingdom of God is here, but not with irresistible power. The kingdom of God has come, but it's not like that stone grinding that image to powder. Not yet. Not yet. The kingdom of God has come, but it hasn't, it's not forcing its, itself on anyone. On the contrary, Jesus says it's coming like a man sowing seed. Let's read it. Here's what he says. Mark 4. Listen to this. Behold. This is Jesus speaking. Mark 4, verse 3. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. 
and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it, it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, listen to this now, Mark 4, verse 11. He was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? You don't get this one. So he explains it now. The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the where the world, I should say, where, yeah, where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, the, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have, they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 full. So this is the mystery of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come among men. It's being offered like a sower sowing seed. Yet men can reject it. I mean, this is a staggering thought to the person who just knew the Old Testament. Think about this. Because when God's kingdom comes, it comes with power. Who can resist it? Who can withstand God? That's why Jesus says this is the mystery of the kingdom. It wasn't revealed it would come this way. But now, through the teaching and the ministry of Jesus, this mystery is being revealed. The kingdom is here. It's being offered right now. But it can be rejected. And one day God is going to indeed manifest his mighty power, purge the earth of all wickedness and sin. That day is coming, but not yet. God's kingdom right now is working among men. And God is not compelling anyone to bow to it. Nobody is being compelled and forced to bow to this kingdom. They must receive it. The response must come from a willing heart and a submissive will. It's a choice. So this is the mystery of the kingdom. Before the day of harvest, before that end of the age when it happens, God has entered into history in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, on that first Christmas morning to grow up and to work among men to bring them the life and the blessing of his kingdom. 
This comes humbly. It comes unobtrusively. It comes to men as a Galilean carpenter going throughout the cities, preaching the kingdom of God and re releasing people from demonic bondages. So the kingdom comes. It comes quietly. It comes humbly. It comes without fire from heaven. It comes without a blaze of glory. It comes without rendering, you know, <clears throat> rending the mountains and splitting the skies. It just comes like a seed sown like a sower sowing seed. God is offering his kingdom through Jesus, the king. And people can choose. Some will reject it. Some will appear to accept it, but it will be short-lived and not genuine. And some will accept it and become citizens of that kingdom to come right now. So let's just think about this as we are thinking about the mystery of Christmas and the mystery of the cross, that Jesus is taking the mystery out of it for us. We now see it, understand it. But that kingdom of God is being offered right now all over the world, and people can reject it. What a thought. But it's being offered like a sower sowing seed. Let's just look at this parable for a moment. I think it'd be good for us to reflect on it during this season. Let's just remember a few things about the parable. First of all, the seeds. The seeds don't change in this parable. This is not a story of good seeds and bad seeds. The seed is the word of God. The seed basically is an invitation to come up underneath the rule of the good king. He's offering a kingdom. It's an invitation. Come up under the good king, Jesus. Also, the story, let's think about the sower. The sower in the story doesn't change. This isn't a story about good sowers and bad sowers. In fact, if anything about this story, what we see about the sower is his amazing generosity with his seed. He's casting this word all over the earth. What changes in this story, this parable, we need to track with this, is that the soil... The soil is what changes here. Whether or not the seed will take root depends on the soil. So you can count on the seed and you can count on the sower. Everything really hinges on the soil. And the soil, of course, represents human beings like you and me. So when we talk about the condition of the soil, what we're really talking about in this parable is the condition of somebody's heart. There are four different kinds of conditions of heart all over the earth, and every one of us fits into one of those today. So every time we see soil, we can just think about the human heart. So this invitation to become citizens of the kingdom of God is being made all over the earth. It's being made by Jesus. It's still being made. It's being made today all over the world. There's an invitation to be, come to this king, be part of this kingdom and come to that king. What will determine people's response to this invitation is the condition of their heart. So let's just walk through these four different kinds of hearts or soils. Jesus says some seed, remember the seed is the word, some seed falls on the hard path, the hard ground, that ground that's been beaten down by travelers walking and animals walking. When the seed falls on the hard ground, the dry, hard ground, 
it doesn't really have much of a chance, does it? The seed to have, for the seed to have a chance, the ground needs to be soft, not hard. Now remember again, soil represents the condition of somebody's heart. So many people have hard hearts, is what he's saying. Hard hearts. Hard hearts toward God. Hard hearts toward his word. Hard hearts toward him ruling their life. Remember, this is an invitation to be part of his kingdom, where he's king. What has made people's hearts hard? Well, a lot of things make people's hearts hard. For some people, they've been hurt a lot. They've been, you know, so they get bitter. They kind of put a protective hard shell around their heart and just, I'm not going to get hurt again. That kind of hardness. Some of you might be in that condition right now. You have a hard spot on your heart because of a relationship. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody. Maybe you're holding some bitterness or resentment. But but basically, here's the evidence of the hardness is that I will not be hurt again. I will make sure of that. And you will not rule my life. I will rule it from here on. Maybe you've been disappointed. You had some dreams that crumble. You had some hopes that didn't get realized. And part of that disappointment is a hard shell develops around your heart. And the way that you deal with that disappointment is you become cynical and jaded. But a big evidence of it is I was disappointed, so I'm not trusting you again. I will make the, I will, I got a plan for my life that's good. I don't know that your plan's that good. So I'll rule it. It's the hard heart. The hard heart says no to God ruling the life. So what do you do with a hard heart? And again, if you, if you know some hardness in your own heart, what do you do? How do you change that? Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3 says, break up your fallow ground. Break it up. You know, in the farming world, a plow was used to break up that hard crust. Break it up so what? So moisture could get in the soil and seeds could get down into the soft soil. There had to be a breaking of that hard ground. Well, the hard-hearted need to be broken. You know, brokenness in a believer's, believer's life, I believe, is when you finally just say, okay, Lord, I can I just confess my pride, and I confess that you're God, I'm not, that you're good, your plans are good, I'm trusting you again. And maybe your heart needs to be softened with the t- tears of repentance, if, you, if you've got some hardness in your heart. You know, breaking up hard ground hurts, but it's not the worst pain. The worst pain is just to remain hard. Just remain hard and barren and empty and bear no fruit. That's the worst pain. Some of you have a hardness, and God is just waiting. I think God is just waiting for a little opening, just a little opening, just a little opening to say, okay, Lord, I'm just, I just am going to ask you to help me with this and plow the hardness. I'm just admitting my hardness, and I don't want it. Just to give him a little opening. That's the thing about the powerful seed. It just needs a little opening. Just give him a small opening, a crack in the sidewalk even. Just give him a little opening. Just just admit it to him and ask him to help you. But citizens of the kingdom must have soft hearts. Must have hearts to say, I want you to rule my life. You're the king. Jesus talks about a second condition of a heart, second kind of soil, and that is the shallow soil or the rocky 
ground. Now, people that Jesus was speaking to in Palestine, they understood this concept because much of that part of the world is there's a foundation of rock underneath about two inches of soil. They understood that. And a lot of times they would plant seed. They understood that the, when the roots went down, they would hit the rock and, and it would never get good, good, good and rooted. And so once the sun came up and it was just wilted, they understood that concept. So Jesus is really talking about, you know, how important it is that we have deep soil. You know, we live in such a shallow world, of course, shallow relationships, superficial conversation, hurried, hurried moments of prayer, too much television, superficial commitments. We live in a superficial world. So, so many people, it's easy for them to characterize their life with shallowness. But this is a person who, it seems like they say yes to the kingdom, Jesus. They, they, it seems like they're saying yes. But as soon as things get tough, in their shallowness, as soon as things get tough, a crisis hits, there's a loss, there's a persecution, there's something demanded of them now. It's going to cost them something to be, you know, in this kingdom. As soon as that happens, they say, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. You're no longer the captain of my ship. I got it from here. And so they decide they'll take, they'll take the reins. They'll lead their life. So again, these are people that it appeared they received the kingdom rule of God. It appeared that they're saying, okay, you can now rule my life. But as soon as, and they, they were good with that as long as it was going the way they wanted it to go. You can be captain of my ship as long as I'm still, got, I'm still holding the steering wheel. But if all of a sudden this thing starts to go awry, I'm taking over. So let me just ask you this. What kind of depth do you have in your life? I mean, do you, do, you, do you appear to follow Jesus as long as it's what you want, everything's going your way? Or do you follow the Lord even when it's difficult and it's costly? So Jesus says the gospel of the kingdom requires soil that is soft and soil that is deep. Then he goes to a third kind of heart. He says some seed falls among the weeds, the thorns. So now we got part of the story. Now we have a soil that is it's actually soft enough and it's actually deep enough. The problem is the weeds. The problem is that the soil is wasting all of its nutrients in its life on weeds. There's competition now. The seed is being choked out by competition. Now, when you think about weeds, it sounds like a kind of a small you know, nuisance, doesn't it? Just weeds. But Jesus is talking about how deadly these weeds are. It's deadly for the spiritual, spiritual life. It can choke your spiritual life out and cause you to bear no fruit. What are the weeds? He says what they are. Cares of this world. I mean, what might happen? What do I do? What might go wrong? What do I wear? What do they say? What do they think of me? It's all the cares of this world. That can choke out. It just chokes out the, the word. Or, the, or he talks about the lure of wealth. We talked about the sin of coveting a couple of weeks ago. But here's the thing about weeds. And all of us who have ever done, you know, had done any yard work know that re, weeds rarely go away on their own. In fact, when weeds get someplace, they tend to stick around and actually spread, don't they? So if you're going to get rid of the weeds, you're going to have to be deliberate about it. You're going to have to do some, you're going to have to do some weeding. If you're going to live under the rule of God in your life, you're going to have to do some weeding. And some of you need to do some weeding, in all honesty. Maybe you're a workaholic, and, that, and that's actually choking the spiritual life out of you. I mean, you need, 
to get serious about cutting back your time. You just won't do it. I mean, you need to make sure you got time to love God and love your family and love your friends the way you should, but you just won't do it. And so the weeds are not going to go away unless you get delivered. So I'm going to cut back on those hours so God can rule my life. Some of you are financially overextended and it's choking out the generosity and spiritual vitality out of your life. And you're going to have to rearrange your financial lives if you're going to live under the rule of God. And so you're going to need to do some financial weeding. Some of you have kids that are signed up for so many leagues and clubs and lessons, you are single-handedly supporting the parks department. (laughs) So you're going to have to do some weeding. See, here's the deal. If we don't, if we're not willing to do weeding... and say, okay, if I'm going to live under your rule, God, I've got, to, I've got to put things in your order. Or it's not going to, I'm not going to, you know, it's just not going to take, the word's not going to take root and bear fruit. So basically, how can we be good soil? <clears throat> well, by this, by repenting from, if you have a hard heart, we repent from hard-heartedness. We repent from superficiality. We repent from idolatry. And we turn to the Lord as king. Here is the heart of someone who really is going to be good soul, and that is a heart that says, I just want your, your rule in my life. I want your rule in my life. So you have a heart that's not hard, it's not shallow, it isn't cluttered with competition. You just want his rule to be brought to bear. And there's, a, there's a submission, there's a humility, there's a brokenness there. Well, that kingdom is being offered all over the world today. All over the world, people are being offered the king. You can come up underneath the rule of the good king Jesus by saying yes to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. All over the world's being offered. And here's the mystery. The mystery is it can be rejected. People can say no to this. You know, one day God will manifest his kingdom with power. It's coming. I think it's coming soon. He's going to rid the, he's going to purge the earth of wickedness and sin. That day is coming, but not yet. Not yet. God's kingdom right now is being offered among men in a way that he's not compelling anybody to bow to it. They have to receive it. They have to respond with a willing heart and a submissive will. This is the mystery of the kingdom. Before the day of harvest, before the end of the age, God has entered into human history in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, a baby born in Bethlehem. What for? So he could grow up and offer people the kingdom, the blessings of the kingdom. He came quietly. He came humbly. He came without fire from heaven. He came without a blaze of glory. He came without rending the mountains and splitting the skies. He came, just think about this. This is a mystery. He came as a little baby, born in Bethlehem. And then he grows up and he offers the kingdom like a sower, sowing seed. This very day he's doing it. This very day. He's offering the kingdom. In fact, right now he's offering the kingdom. Right now in this room he's offering the kingdom. Right now in live stream he's offering the kingdom to whoever will receive him as king. He's offering the kingdom. And some will reject it. Some will appear to accept it, but it'll be short-lived. It won't be genuine. But some will accept it and become citizens of that future kingdom right now. Wow. And begin to bear much fruit. So here's just my question as we get ready to close here, and that is simply this. Which of those four soils best represents the condition of your heart?
Maybe the better question is, which of those four souls would you like to represent the condition of your heart? If you're saying, I want to be good soil. I want his kingdom. Well, he's offered it to you. All you have to do is say yes. I was going through the lyrics of a lot of the different Christmas carols that many of us have sung for a long time. And, and there's always certain stanzas we skip. And sometimes I think we skip some of the most powerful stanzas. But the third stanza of Old Little Town of Bethlehem, how many of you know it right, right away? Just raise your hand. The third stanza, here it is, put it up on the screen. How silently, how silently this, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. So if you haven't received him yet, and he's offering himself and his kingdom to you today, and all you have to do is say yes. Let's stand for prayer. Before I close in prayer, if you have specific prayer requests, there will be some leader couples down front. I'll be glad to pray for you. If you have any questions for our staff, we have Connection Coffee in this corner where staff will be at. We're ready to answer your questions. If this is your first Sunday here, I'd love to meet you up here in this welcome corner. Please come on up and please say hi before you take off. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've come to do. That you came and you offered the kingdom by offering yourself. You came and died for our sins that we could be forgiven and we could enter the kingdom now. That we can be members of this future glorious kingdom before it comes with the great power it's going to come and the suddenness it's going to come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for explaining the mystery. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming back to bring that Old Testament prophesied fullness of the kingdom. In the meantime, Lord, you are so generous with your seed all over the world. And we're just asking, Lord, would you continue to cause people to be able to understand what it is you're offering? I pray for a revelation. I pray for those in this room and those live streaming, Lord. If there's anyone who doesn't yet know you as their king, I pray, well, what better time than right now to simply just say yes to him? Yes, I want you, Jesus, to be my king. I want your kingdom. I want you. Thank you, Lord. We just pray you draw people to yourself now. And we pray, Lord, as, we're, as we approach this day of, of Christmas, that we'd remember this, the mystery part of this, that how you came, you came, Lord, so humbly and quietly, but you came to offer us the kingdom. And we thank you. We thank you that you're our king today. We ask you to rule our lives in every way. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. God bless you guys. Have a great week.